So I'm just going to keep saying it until we untangle this big old knot. If more boards were high-functioning, the nonprofit sector would be stronger and organizations would be ever so much more impactful. I love it when board chairs join my leadership lab or seek one-on-one coaching from me because it gives me a lot of hope. Can I just yell this? Board service is really, really important, and it's really, really important to get it right. Okay, enough ranting, time to get to business. My guest today is all about high-functioning boards. While I play in the nonprofit leadership space, both paid and unpaid, Rob is all about nonprofit boards. His firm, Cost Strategy Partners, is all about this vision, a world where business and community leaders find purpose by lending their skills and passions to high-impact, value-aligned nonprofits. You like that, don't you? I liked it a lot when I read it. He matches business leaders with boards, trains them, and in so doing, levels up the work of that nonprofit and levels up the leadership skills and job satisfactions of the business leader. Everyone wins, most especially the nonprofit. Today, Rob and I talk about the question we are asked more than any other. Why is my board so dysfunctional? We'll start by getting clarity. Folks use the word dysfunctional like they use the word disengaged. We need to be on the same page about what those words mean. And we'll talk about different kinds of dysfunctional boards. You getting goosebumps yet? (laughs) (laughs) Next, we'll diagnose the root cause. And if you're a nonprofit ED or CEO, please get ready for some truth-telling because the road to dysfunction runs both ways. And if you've ever listened to my podcast before, you know that I like to imagine that you're listening in your car. And that if I'm doing this right, you're going to feel a need to pull over, take a few notes about what your organization might need to be doing differently. We call that actionable advice. So Rob and I are excited for the conversation, excited to dissect the problem and offer some solutions. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights today is no exception. You will find Rob's full bio in the show notes, but here's what I'll tell you for starters. Rob Acton is the chief executive officer and founder of Cause Strategy Partners. To date, listen up, the organization has placed, trained, and supported thousands of professionals in the U.S. and the U.K. for nonprofit board service through corporate partnerships with over 40 Fortune 500 companies and global professional services firms. Rob has nearly three decades of experience founding, leading, and scaling social good organizations as both a nonprofit CEO and board leader. For 11 years, he served as the executive director of two nonprofit organizations, the Taproot Foundation in New York City and Cabrini Legal Aid in Chicago. 
Rob currently serves as co-chair of the board of directors of Broadway Inspirational Voices and is a member of the board of directors of Nonprofit New York. Mr. Acton and I go way back as friends, as kindred spirits in this space, and most recently, Rob was a client in his role as board chair at Broadway Inspirational Voices when I coached the organization through a founder-led transition. Broadway Inspirational Voices was really lucky to have Rob Acton at the leadership helm. Rob Acton, thank you for joining me. I always enjoy our conversations, and I know our listeners will too. Thanks, Joan. You know, I love to be with you as well. In fact, I want to say the first time I listened to your podcast, I was playing the episode through the speaker system rather loudly in the backyard of my home in Palm Springs, California, as I floated lazily in a pool one beautiful (laughs) Saturday afternoon. And of course, the pool I was floating in is surrounded by neighborhood backyards that also have pools. So I think it's safe to say that there are a lot of retirees in Palm Springs, California, who are familiar with your podcast as well. Sort of my marketing for your work. I actually, you know, I don't don't think of it as having that kind of reach, but I was on a flight. My wife and I went to Australia and New Zealand on a vacation in the before times. And... So for those of you who don't know me personally, my voice is distinctive, but it's also really loud. And I'm like chatting with my wife, who's like a seat ahead of me because we didn't get seats together. And all of a sudden, this person I've never met before turns around and says, is that Joan Gary? <laughs> and she recognized my voice from the podcast. So, so that was, it was pretty awesome, actually. And it's nice to think of people lounging in pools while they listen to my podcast rather than on an elliptical machine or yeah. driving in a car. So you give, have given me a new Yeah, you've given me a you've given me a nice new image. Um, good, good. Let's start by talking a little bit about cause strategies. Cause strategy. Tell me about the roots and what you do so folks learn more about you and your work. Yeah. Great. Thanks for the invitation to do so, Joan. So Cause Strategy Partners is a social enterprise, and we connect executives and employees from its out now about 70 Fortune 500 companies and global professional service firms with opportunities to serve on nonprofit boards. And we do that through the combination of our board lead technology platform that we've built to scale this work across the country and in the UK, as well as a a hand curated board matching and placement process. We've rounded that out with a work called Board Learn, which is our nonprofit governance and best practices training platform in order to train new directors to be effective in the boardroom as we help them feel comfortable and confident as serving as a board member from day one. And I think of particular interest to your audience, Joan, I'll share that the corporations we partner with underwrite the entire board lead process so we can offer our board matching services at no cost to our nonprofit partners. But yeah, that's a bit about what we do. And uh, we are incredibly fulfilled doing it because we find remarkable connections between what we call our board leaders, the executives and employees we work with, and the 1,200 nonprofit partners we have around the country and in the UK that that we're working with as well. I don't think it's necessarily obvious to people. You are not a nonprofit. What's your business model? That's right. We're an S Corp uh, certified B Corporation. So we are certified by B Labs as uh, meeting the standards of accountability related to B 
both a pro, uh, have bottom lines in in profitability, but also bottom lines in social impact. The B Corp uh, movement is really powerful. If folks aren't familiar with it, they might want to check that out. Uh, so we're a certified B Corp, structured as an S corporation. The revenues that you generate as a business come from these companies. Exactly right. Yep. We that's that's the, essentially the business model that we partner with companies to place their talented executives and employees on nonprofit boards, allowing us to offer those services to our nonprofit partners for free. Okay, so let's make sure that every single person heard what you just said. That companies around the world, hundreds of them, big ones. We have 70 so far, but we're working towards hundreds. Okay, good. But that's okay, right? They pay a company like Cause Strategy to identify places to place their leaders and emerging leaders mm-hmm. on value-aligned nonprofits. Very so, much so, yeah. Right? So well, let's be really clear here. Companies have... They have a value reason and they pay someone to help yep. them. And we're not coming out of their philanthropy budget, right? This is a business proposition for them. Folks always ask me, why do they do that? And, and the, there's two primary reasons. Number one is around co- corporate social responsibility. They want to be engaged in the community where they have presence. Um, they want you know their leaders to to know the community and the community to know them. And the second reason is all around leadership development that they want to invest in their leaders from the C-suite down to you know managers and vice president, managing director levels. They want their folks to develop as leaders. And in my viewpoint, there's almost no better way to grow as a leader than to place yourself on a board surrounded by other leaders and take leadership responsibility for a cause doing incredible work in the community. And that role, as everyone knows, you shepherd, lead, and guide an organization. So you're not attending a leadership conference, right? Right. Tony Robbins isn't swinging in to give some leadership uh, rah-rah speeches that you are in the trenches leading alongside leaders. And so it's, uh, it's the core motivation for our corporate partners engaging with us. So message number one is I want you, if you're listening, to start reframing board recruitment to being from a model of scarcity to a model of abundance. Because somebody like Rob, mm. right, has connected with companies who, are, who are, have an interest in placing their folks on boards for leadership development purposes. Don't get me started on another rant about how poorly we market board service. Maybe that's another one. Rob. And if I can round that out, not only is the company interested, probably even more important, the board candidates are wildly interested, right? Like they're falling over themselves to come and learn about this opportunity to find an on-ramp to a board seat on a cause that they care about. The primary matching criteria we have is to understand the cause area interests of our candidates and match them to an organization that's a direct hit on passion for the mission. So there is a wealth of business executives and employees in your community working at companies who are looking for opportunities to engage on a cause close to their heart. No question about it. Right. And whose companies are um, aligned with that interest. Absolutely. Okay. So message number one. Sent 
hopefully received. Now, mm-hmm. we did say that this podcast was about dysfunctional boards. So how would you define dysfunction, Rob? Well, I'm going to start with a quick story. So when I speak to nonprofit CEOs and senior staff, I sometimes engage them in an activity at the beginning of my talk. I'll ask them to turn to their neighbor and use their creative muscles by describing their board's culture with the title of a movie, a song, or a TV show. So, you know, I then wait and kind of let them do the activity. And, and as they begin to engage, I start hearing pockets of laughter emerge from all over the room. Okay. Of course, that makes me want to know what they're saying. So when we come back together, I'll ask for a handful of volunteers to sort of shout out their answers. And one by one, as audience members yell out their responses, the room fills with laughter in part because of the creativity, but I suspect more out of, frankly, a a sense of shared experience, frustration, exasperation. Um, Can I share a few of of my favorites with you, Joan? I was going to ask. So again, the prompt is describe your board's culture with the title of a movie, song, or TV show. These are some of my favorites. Grumpy old men. (laughs) um, All by myself. You can sing that if you'd like, because I know you're a singer. Three men and a baby was one that was shouted out. Titanic. And um, maybe my favorite of all, he's just not that into you. (laughs) (laughs) While I love the originality, though, what what the responses represent is this dysfunction, right? The boards of directors govern and guide the work of our organizations that are providing vital services in our community. Yet the picture these responses paint, homogenous, dysfunctional, disengaged, or maybe the Titanic response on sort of boards that are on the verge of calamity. It's just not encouraging. No. And, you know, there's lots of articles written about this stuff, but maybe from your own experience, sort of how does the dysfunction manifest itself? Are there different kinds of dysfunctional boards? Yep. Yeah. You know, in, in my kind of consulting role, I spent a lot of time in boardrooms as well as serving on boards. And there's four or five things that I see as kind of symptoms of a greater problem of dysfunction. One I call the silent start. You know, it's when board members walk into the room and they sit in silence and they don't engage with one another. They wait for the board chair to call the meeting to order. And it just seems like they don't even know or necessarily like each other. It always blows my mind. Or um, uh, the frantic beg. We've all been here, right? Meetings time is at four o'clock. They don't have quorum. So the chief executive starts calling and texting board members, sort of begging them to dial in so we can get to quorum. You know, you have to wonder if you're in that room on time, if it's even worth it. Or the great escape, it's the opposite problem, where one by one board members drift out of the meeting early, sign off of the Zoom call, and those who stick around kind of wonder, is it worth it? Why am I still here? Right. Um, we all know the dominator, right? The chief executive, the board chair who who takes up all the air in the room, despite the diversity of experience and knowledge and skill sets represented around the table, board members aren't invited to engage. Or the schism. Um, I, I was once on the cusp of it, literally on the cusp of accepting a CEO job from an influential advocacy organization in Chicago. And the final step was a sort of formality. It was pitched as a social event with the full board. But during that event, it became so clear to me that there were two fundamentally diametrically opposed camps that had developed on the board on issues of core mission and purpose. Wow. And as I walked out of the meeting that day with a recruiter, I withdrew my name from consideration on the spot. 
Of course, they were devastated, the loss of income from them, but they understood why. And, you know, I didn't want to touch that board with a 10-foot pole. I think schisms among board members might be the most dysfunctional characteristic of all. And in that situation, the core identity or purpose or vision for the organization was not shared. Exactly. They they literally were almost proud of that division and wanted to spend a lot of time sort of highlighting their particular viewpoint during a meeting when they're meeting the person they're prepared to hire as their next CEO. You know, that's just fundamental dysfunction. When I always describe it as when we talk to new board members, I'll say, you know, one of the models for boards that you're familiar with might be your co-op board, your condo board, or the local city council or school board. That's not what we're going for in the nonprofit yeah. sector, right? Right. We're volunteers coming together out of a shared sense of purpose and mission to collaborate and work together as a team to achieve something really special. And so framing that up is sort of why are we here? We're here to be a cohesive team with a shared mission, I think is really critical in our sector. So it's really interesting. I have started to do a fair amount of one-on-one coaching with folks who are either deciding that they're going to retire in X years or they have decided that this is not going to be their last gig and they have Mm -hmm. one or two more gigs in them. Mm -hmm. And so they've established something of an expiration date. And I have spoken with other people who do leadership transition work. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I have a podcast, a two-part podcast I did with one person who is quite good And she said the number one most important component of an effective leadership transition, survey says, (laughs) a cohesive board that is in alignment around mission and vision. Absolutely. And, And I don't want to send the wrong message. That does not mean that board members shouldn't bring new viewpoints, Absolutely. new perspectives, and even vociferously argue for those viewpoints and perspectives in the boardroom. Not at all what I'm trying to communicate. I think it's critical that we bring our life's experience and knowledge and insights to, to those conversations. But at the end of the day, that board needs to be a cohesive, collaborative team working together on a shared purpose and mission. We're volunteers, we're busy, we don't have a lot of time, and we're not going to spend our time and our resources if it feels a lot like that school board that we've seen on the news far too often, right? And so I I really, um, I think both of those two things can exist at the same time and need to. And, And by the way, I think that cohesive team, like it or not, you'll talk about board retreats or you'll talk about board meetings and you'll talk about that, you know, It's not a four-letter word, but some people see it as a four-letter word, the icebreaker, right? Mm -hmm. That actually getting to understand and know the stories of your fellow board members is, in fact, essential to building what Rob is talking about. Absolutely. Social time is as important as the boardroom conversations, in my view. The board needs to build that cohesive connection to one another You know, I've been through a number now, unfortunately, both as an executive director and as a board member, I've been through a number of crises at Mm -hmm. the organizational level, financial crises, external environment crises, leadership crises. And I will say, you need your board to be lock arm, shoulder to shoulder, 
working and committed to stick this one through because yep. crises are not fun for a board. Well, and and, and in fact, so actually, those relationships matter. Leadership transitions are a kind of organizational crisis. Absolutely. Right. Yep. And so what you're saying is absolutely spot on. Yep. Talk for a minute, Rob, about some people will say, well, my board is pretty functional, but I have one really bad apple. So does one bad apple spoil the whole bunch? If the bad apple is the CEO, who often serves as a non-voting ex-officio board member, right? I think it's quite possible that they can make it impossible for even the most talented of boards to succeed in their role of providing strategic direction, fiduciary oversight, driving resources, leveraging their skills. But let's go to the board member's non-CEO, right? Okay. I would say if the bad apple is the board chair, I think they have the possibility to spoil the bunch too. Yeah, me too. You have to recognize the board chair's primary role is to shepherd, lead, motivate, engage, and guide the board's work itself. And I I have to be honest, I have not seen a lot of high-functioning boards that were led by low-functioning board chairs. I just haven't. Yeah. For me, the message, I think, is, is to make a change if you're stuck with a bad apple in either of those two seats. But- Apples and other bad apples and other board seats, I think generally can be managed. And I have a, a thought about this. And I've done this activity. I love so, a good two by two. Yeah. So, know, so give me the two. so give me the two by two. But I just wanna yeah. I wanna bust a myth because I think some people say that dysfunctional boards are the result of like, I have a dysfunctional member on my board, therefore my board is dysfunctional. That logic does not flow. Mm. entirely, unless you're at leadership levels. So yeah. I just wanted to emphasize that. Okay, let me hear about your two-by-two. Two-by-two. Two. And I would encourage nonprofit executive directors to do this. Maybe this is a pullover and and make a note to do this activity when you're back. <laughs> or actually, no, in your case, it would be to take the float and swim over to the edge. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So the horizontal access is effort to engage from low to high the effort to engage that board member from low to high in the vertical access is ability to drive impact from low to high, right? And plot your board members on that graph. I did this as a nonprofit CEO. I take each board member and write their name at some point on that graph. So for your board members who are high on driving impact and low on effort to engage, congrats. (sighs) That's the unicorn. Invest in them. You bet. We can usually work with board members who might be high on effort to engage, but if they're also high on driving impact. But apples, bad apples, I would argue, are those who are high on effort to engage and low on driving impact, right? These are board members who take up inordinate amount of times asking you for updates because they skip every meeting and then they call and want an hour-long briefing. They're board members who you have to ask over and over and over again for their annual contribution rather than them respond the first time. They're board members who maybe are chairing committees from a place of ego rather than leadership and collaboration, which results in poor outcomes, or, or bullies on your board who your team can't stand because they bully them around. These board members you have to drive out. Those are your bad apples. They're yep. high on effort to engage and low on driving impact. Try not to fire them, but try to get them to take themselves off your board. Yeah, exactly. You're going to find somebody, when you do that exercise with a board, Rob, there are no boards where there isn't somebody in each quadrant, right? 
I, I think for the most part, that's right. Yeah. Although a board that has structured itself right and who has a board chair committed to this vision of a highly effective board will have had conversations along the way or a governance committee will have provided report backs or had have conversations that might create a culture where that that low that bad apple board member removes themselves that's the ideal scenario that you've put systems and structures and a culture in place where this becomes somebody's decision rather than you having to have the awkward conversation yourself i couldn't agree with you more and i i get asked all the time how do i fire a bad apple board member and and my answer is always you do everything you can to avoid it by putting systems and processes and communications in place so it's very clear to the bad apple board member or the dead weight board member that they are, in fact, dead weight. And when they realize that, they typically self-select off. So, And, um, and, and one other piece of advice I might give is you can put the concept in their mouth Um, They may not say it first. Maybe you can find a way to say, you know, it seems, Sally, like your life is just, you know, taken on a life of its own. Your job, congrats, you're, you know, you're you're sewing through the company. And it's pretty clear you just don't have time for the organization anymore. And we totally understand. Um, You You can take them right to the edge. Yeah, but they'll jump on and say, oh, thank you for saying that. So often the response has been, thank you. I've been struggling to just figure out how I can have this conversation with the organization. They might be waiting for you to raise it for them. This is actually a very good strategy, too, if you have somebody who keeps missing board meetings, right? You can can make the exact same play. Wow, I, I, I know your life is just like crazy town these days. And I'm sure that's why you haven't been able to attend board meetings. And you give them permission to say, yeah, my life is too crazy for this too. Yep. So One other tip. uh, If you have that struggle with the board share role, that's even more difficult, right? If you have a bad apple in the board share role, how do you have a conversation with the board chair? One suggestion is have another board member raise their hand and say, well, I'd like to be considered for board chair in next year's election. Yes. Oftentimes the board chair thinks that they have to stay in the role because no one else is willing and able. But if you can identify the next board chair and have them lead by expressing interest, it creates a much easier conversation around a potential transition in that core role. I think I'm starting another podcast here by saying this, but I'll take my chances I'm not a big fan of a vice chair role on a board that is presumed to become the board chair, sort of the runner-up Miss USA, if you will, Mm -hmm. because they're not always the right person, and the right person may not actually be there, but maybe somewhere else in your posse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've seen a professional services organization, a professional association of a very large group of people of a particular profession where, you know, they they have a very structured approach to governance. Yes. Where I think they almost have to have that because they're elected roles and they actually pay folks to serve in these roles. But for the most part, a standard, smaller, medium-sized nonprofit. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't think you need that level of formality. In, no, in, and I think it I think it creates once somebody gets into a vice chair role, you learn something about them. And sometimes the thing you learn is that you don't want them as your next chair. Yeah. <laughs> so we talked about what dysfunction looks like. Why don't you offer some of your thoughts about the root causes? 
Because, right, the root causes. What? Yeah. There, I mean, I have a lot of ideas too, but why don't you start and we can kick them around. All right. Well, let's start with the recruitment role. Failure to set expectations. Failure to be really straightforward around, we have high expectations for our board members. In fact, we've written them out here in the role and responsibilities document. And in fact, we really believe in them. And in fact, the governance committee every year will put together a scorecard on how each individual board member has performed against these roles and responsibilities. And, you know, we won't share that scorecard with the board, but the committee will look at it and we'll share it with you. So you you create a sense of, We are looking for people who are going to be fully engaged, who are really going to deliver. We're setting high expectations around that, what that looks like. And we're letting you know right now, we're kind of a place that likes to hold one another accountable. I think if doing those things at the very beginning in the recruitment process works, and by the way, high capacity leaders want high capacity responsibilities. Yes. Don't be scared to ask big things of people who have the capacity to deliver. That's probably exactly the opportunity they're looking for. So I want to ask you, isn't there a step even before that? Because I could imagine that there are people driving or laying on the pool lounge (laughs) who are saying, yeah, but the charge of our committee is we have to fill six seats by December. Mm -hmm. And so I have to actually, if I make this job seem like it's really hard, like they're going to be held accountable, all the things you just said, they might say no, Rob. (laughs) I, we collect the bylaws of all the organizations that we serve before we invite them into the board lead network. I have to tell you, I've almost never seen organizational bylaws that have rigorous, unflexible rules around elections. There's almost always language that allows for departures from even the most structured board election process. And in my opinion, I would much rather delay the election, miss the numbers, or fail to live up to the bylaws expectations than I would to rush this process and get the wrong people in the wrong seats doing the wrong thing. That's what will harm your organization. Nobody's going to know if you missed your bylaw red letter requirement by one or by a date or by a meeting. And frankly, I don't think anybody's going to care, but the bylaws probably provide you flexibility to do that anyhow. Don't put people on your boards who don't understand the role, who aren't excited about achieving it, and who aren't prepared to be held accountable. You're making a mistake from day one with that board. Yeah, but Rob, but Rob, listen to me. I have to raise a certain amount of money. And if my board is too small, I'm not going to be able to actually, I won't won't have enough board members to contribute. I won't have enough board members to fundraise. How am I supposed to deal with that, Rob? Rob? Yep. Rob? there's a lot of ways to do with that. And what we're not going to do it is from a place of panic, right? Let's create the structure to engage them in ways that will lead to those sorts of outcomes, but don't get the wrong people in the wrong seats doing the wrong things. Trust me, that's going to be a distraction from your fundraising efforts. That's not going to strengthen them. Okay. So I, I happen to agree. And uh, and uh, anyone who has ever tried to manage off a low-performing board member knows that the time that it takes to curate and carefully and intentionally recruit, it pays dividends to get the right person. And moving somebody out who's a problem is not only takes time, it takes emotional time, which actually has, is a much bigger detriment to your organization. Okay. So recruitment, what else you got? Let's talk about training for a moment. 
one of my real passions is around training board members for the role. So, you know, in their in a day job, anyone's day job at their company, they would never be given a new role without training, right? Here's what your role is and here's how to to perform it effectively. Yet that's exactly what we do in the nonprofit boardroom every single time. The vast majority, I think probably more than 95% of board members serving in the nonprofit sector never received even one minute of governance training. They might've received an onboarding, right? Here's the strategy. Here's our bylaws. Meet the senior staff, tour the facility, get to know our culture. That's not governance training. Does that teach them their three legal duties? Do they know about the duty of obedience, the duty of care, the duty of loyalty? Do they know how that legal duty will influence their ability to serve effectively and they're legally in a way they're legal legally obliged to do so? You have to have training. It's not inherently known how to read P&Ls and balance sheets. It's certainly people aren't really comfortable with fundraising and feel like they're experts if they've never done it before, right? So Put governance training in place. And I want to quote one statistic. BoardSource um, has an annual leading with intent survey that, that's yep. sort of the, the, the sector's leading uh, data around governance in, in, in the nonprofit sector in the U.S. And that survey has found that executive directors indicate their board is 34 times more likely to cause harm if that board doesn't understand the role and responsibilities of governance. If they do understand the roles and responsibilities of governance, they're substantially more likely to create impact, certainly not create harm, but 34 times more likely to create harm to the organization if they don't know their roles and responsibilities. Give training to your board members, help them understand their role. What an interesting statistic, 34% more likely to cause harm. Imagine that you join a board and without training, you actually are way more likely to cause harm to the organization you care about. But doesn't it make sense? I mean, of course, of course it does. Imagine a a board member who doesn't understand that they're a legislative leader now and not an executive leader like they are in their day job. So they come in guns blazing, you know, all lots of opinions and start wanting to direct the executive director around and make decisions that don't belong to them and push on issues that aren't theirs. That is causing massive harm to the organization because they didn't get trained in the proper role and responsibility of a board member and improper micromanagement. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is led by Joan Gary and is the world's best online community for leaders of small nonprofits. Learn how to raise more money, build the board of your dreams, grow a large audience of supporters, and so much more. To learn more and request an invitation to become a member, please go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. That's nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. So much of what we're talking about throughout the course of this conversation is about the importance of intentionality, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is leading and running your organization with intention. We often come to our work with such a sense of urgency. And Rob and I see it every day and we get it. And actually it is that urgency. It is that like fierceness that you bring to your work that actually has driven you to do this work 
and does drive impact. Absolutely. It drives you to to do hard things and and have difficult conversations and push and lobby and advocate. But when it comes to the functioning of your organization, it has to be tempered with intention. And we're talking today um, with somebody who approaches governance, nonprofit governance, with intention and attempts to actually instill that in the organizations that he works with. And we're talking with Rob Acton, who is the CEO of Cost Strategy Partners, and he lives and breathes nonprofit governance. That's what this man does. It's a sickness. It's, it's a sickness. And what he does is he works with companies who are absolutely hell-bent on providing leadership development, on living up to their corporate social responsibility. And as a result, Rob has placed, trained, and supported thousands of professionals in the U.S. and the U.K. for nonprofit board service because of these corporate partnerships. He's had his boots on the ground as an ED. He has his boots on the ground as a board chair. And so he has played pretty much every position on the um, nonprofit field. But the one that we are talking about today is getting your board to be a high-functioning partner with you in the work of your organization. So we've talked about recruitment as a, as a place where you'll find a root cause of dysfunction. And we talk about training. Where else would you point to sort of root causes? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go back to recruitment for a moment because I, I, this is, this is going to be viewed as heresy by some CEOs that are listening to this podcast, but I thought about this for a long time and I believe every word of it. And that's this, we have to change the goal in our recruitment It's really not about getting a group of high-performing individuals on your board. It's much more about building a high-performance team. Yes. It's not about looking, well, they're the superstar in my field. They're the celebrity in my community. They're, you know, the the richest uh, person that I know in my network. That's not the goal. The goal is to build a high-performance team. Right. We've seen plenty of sports teams, for example, that have one superstar. But if they're not surrounded by a team of high performers who know how to work together, who have a shared desire to win, a clear strategy on how to do so, a strong coach, uh, you know, training and pre- preparation and a commitment to one another's success, that team doesn't succeed. And so I would rethink the way that we approach board recruitment. And I've been guilty of this plenty of times in the boardroom to say, hey, we need, you know, this superstar in our community to be on this board. I lived in Chicago, as you know, for a time for seven years, and I can't tell you how many Chicago executive directors I'd hear. We need to get Oprah on our board. This is the Oprah show days, right? Everyone wanted Oprah. Stop trying to get Oprah. Build a high-performing team of folks who have the diversity of skill sets and life experiences and backgrounds and are committed to the mission and are prepared to be fully engaged and commit to that role and responsibility document, get them and turn them into a high performance team. You'll have a much stronger board to shepherd, lead and guide your organization. So there are implications of what you just said. And I want to just tease them out for a second. I know boards that have a, uh, their largest corporate funder, wants a seat 
Or you think to yourself, well, Fred is our biggest donor. We should ask Fred to be on the board. Mm -hmm. I think those are two different things. I'd be reluctant to bring the large corporate funder onto my board. I'd be much less reluctant to bring an individual donor who has demonstrated through their giving that they really believe in our mission. I'd be much right. less reluctant to bring them onto our board. In I fact, think I'd you probably but, be in, in the camp that would say, well, yeah, let's get Fred on the board. That's well, as long as, as long as Fred has team related attributes, right? Yeah, if, yeah. Right. If T, if he is all, if Fred is all about his money and all yeah. about the power that comes with it and wants to wield it in certain ways yeah. around that table, he's not a team player. And this Absolutely. is why it's so important to recruit for attributes and not just professional expertise. Yeah. Right. Right. You need the person who's, who is, I coach somebody who is a national lacrosse player. Like, mm -hmm. She has team dripping from every pore of her body, and it makes her very, very yeah. effective. It's a brilliant point. And you you mentioned Broadway Inspirational Voices. And of course, I'm going to mention Broadway Inspirational Voices a couple times on this podcast. You did some consulting work with us, Joan, but our wonderful executive director, Angela Grovey and I recently went to an artistic director, uh, Alan uh, Renee Luis, went to a donor visit of a potential donor who is expressing interest on our board. And at the end of that conversation, we realized this donor is not right for our board for the very reasons you indicated. Lots of good potential to give and fundraise, but didn't feel like a culture fit that would work well with the existing board members. And it's just not worth the risk. So looking for other ways to plug them in is, is an alternative option. Listen up. Did you hear what Rob just said? His board has a culture. It has a culture, and it's probably not uh, represented by the Titanic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk for a minute. We just have a couple more minutes, and I want to yeah. grapple with the role that the staff and the CEO play in whether or not a board is functioning or not. I'd love your observations. I said in the open that the road runs both ways, mm -hmm. right? What role does the CEO or the executive director play? Because far too often I will hear people who are executive directors seem to kind of point in the direction of the board as if over there, there is this dysfunctional board, as if there are no fingerprints on that executive director. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Years ago, I taught a course at Axelson Center in Chicago around sort of leading as a CEO in, in the Jossie Bass Handbook, which is a leading authority in kind of all things nonprofit leadership. They talked about different kinds of, of CEOs, a staff-centered leader, a, a funder-centered leader, and a board-centered leader. And then I would add a self-centered leader. <laughs> and, and I really believe in the power of being a board-centered leader. And not every nonprofit executive director will land there. Some would say, no, I'm all about my staff. Others are funding, funders are really critical to my organization at this stage of our development. But I believe very powerfully in a board-centered leadership model for the nonprofit CEO. The reason for that is if you've got the right board, You've got a number of high-capacity individuals who can round out your wisdom and skill set gaps, who have tentacles in the community that you'll never have, 
who have wisdom hard-earned through life and leadership. And if you can engage them and excite them and send them forth to help you lead the organization, you have multiplied your ability to be an effective leader many, many times over. So I happen to believe that's a, a powerful leadership model to build a culture and a community among my board that has them viewing this organization a part of their professional and personal identity, and that they are almost as committed to a, its success as am I and our senior staff and our staff on board, that we're all in this together and that they're engaged. That doesn't happen automatically. That board will not be there without cultivation and investment and constant engagement by somebody. And that's for the most part going to be the CEO or the board chair. Right. And and what we're talking about engagement, so we're, right, when we're talking about engagement is something as simple as regular stories that your board members can tell about the work. Skip the monthly report that goes on for like many times over in that email because your board member is not going to read it and you're going to be annoyed that they haven't read it. Right. But if you can create new and interesting ways for board members to grab and go content that they can share, you'll get so much more out of them. But you have to think of them as folks that need to be fueled, fueled mm -hmm. with stories, fueled with data, fueled with impact that they can share with other people on their social media, right? They need to have that. And far too often, executive directors say, well, they, it's all in the board report or it's all, I do a monthly report. Nobody opens it, right? Mm -hmm. That it's on you. To, these, are, these are busy people who have day jobs. Mm -hmm. It is on you to cut through their clutter. Yep. And I would just add to that, that's agree 100%, Joan. And I would add to that, Change the board meeting so that they're about the future, not the past. Yeah. Get rid of the committee the reports. The minutes can serve that function. Write out your executive director report. Don't repeat it and read it at the board meeting. And leverage those two hours in the boardroom to lead the board in a conversation of, that's generative in nature, talking about the values and who we are and our purpose, and, and that's digging into strategy. What are the big strategic questions the organization is facing put them in front of the board and let them talk. My mentor, Chuck Middleton, who was president of Roosevelt University before he retired, uh, gave me a great piece of insight once he said, Rob, in a board meeting as the CEO, I get one opinion about every agenda item. The rest of the time I stay quiet and I want my board to talk. I want them to think it through and hear each other and engage because that's how you create an engaged board that wants to fundraise and wants to give and wants to invest because they are developing a sense of ownership interest yeah in this work. But if you do all the talking nonprofit CEO, if it's your show and the spotlight's on you and it's the song and dance and you want them to sit quietly and be impressed, good luck. They're right. not going to be engaged outside of that boardroom because they're not engaged in that board meeting. And, and right. And you're going to say, well, my board members, they don't return my emails. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't. And I think of board meetings as anchor opportunities to illustrate your, uh, right, to do exactly what Rob is talking about is to engage them so they feel as much ownership about this organization as you do. And if, and, and, and it all goes back to recruitment, right? And if you're sitting there saying, I don't value that person's opinion, 
I, right? Or that person isn't going to know enough to be of value mm -hmm. in that conversation, right? That second person, why don't they know enough? What are, what could you be doing differently so that they have the context and the data and the information to be well-informed in a conversation, mm. right? And if the other person doesn't care, what the heck are they doing on your board, yeah. right? It all goes back to recruitment, right? Does that person have an appetite for a real solid appetite for the mission of your organization? Are they ready to do an important job? And are they team players? Right. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a lot of what we talked about this afternoon. Any last uh, words of advice for yep. mostly executive directors who are listening, but maybe a board chair? Simple. Triple the amount of time you're currently spending building your board. Triple it. Triple it. it you need to spend more time thinking through the gaps. Who do we need? What are the skills? What are the personal identity qualities? What are the characteristics? Who do we need on the board? You need to plan for it. And then you need to start sourcing names and getting using services like Board Lead to start to identify candidates. And then you need to carefully meet with and vet and have long conversations and invite them to the site and get them to know other board members. And then you need to nominate them and then you need to elect them. And then you need to onboard and train them, provide governance training. Triple the amount of time you spend in board development. We'll leave it right there. Rob Acton. So much good advice today, so much actionable advice, and so much great insight about why boards matter so much in the nonprofit sector. So thank you for sharing your insights and your advice, and thank you so much for the work that you do that is really uh, actually up-leveling boards all across the country and in the UK. So my gratitude and my gratitude on, and so too, all the folks who are listening. Joan, thank you for the work you do. You are a thought leader in every sense of the word in our sector, and you managed to do it in an entertaining, fun, loving way at the same time as being brilliant. So really appreciate you, and thanks for uh, this time today. Well, thank you. And uh, for everybody who's listening, thank you for taking the time to listen. Uh, thank you for the work you do, and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.